Hello, and welcome to the Race, Wealth, and Health podcast, a podcast that serves to educate and empower while we explore the intersections of social justice, economic empowerment, and holistic well-being with the communities of color. I am your host, Dr. Joycelyn Morris, and I invite you to join me as we dive deep into the crucial topics that shape our lives, challenge the status quo, and strive for a more equitable future for all. This week, we continue the conversation with guest Dr. Michael Thomas as we talk about his book, Black Financial Culture, Building Wealth from the Inside Out. Let's listen in. So you wrote this book called Black Financial Culture. What is what is black financial culture to you? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And the, the reason why I entitled it Black Financial Culture, Building Wealth from the Inside Out, was because I'm not trying to define black financial culture. Mm. I'm not trying to define it at all, actually, because I, I think that one of the, the core tenets of freedom is that we get to decide for ourselves. And so what I'm saying here is that black, black financial culture is what you want for it to be. The question, though, is have you actually taken the time to sit with yourself to define that for you? Not what's been marketed to you, not necessarily, and I'm a, I'm a person of faith, but not necessarily what you learned at the church, um, not necessarily where you've learned in just maybe the small bubble of the systems that you currently navigate, uh, because that kind of becomes cultural in some instances. There are some yeah. things about culture that can be absolutely fabulous, but then there are some things about culture that you absolutely have to survive. Yeah. Before you can have the agency yourself to be able to explore maybe new ways of being, living, doing, perceiving, sensing, feeling, loving, caring for, because the system, the culture that you navigated didn't provide the space for it. And that Mm -hmm. could have been absolutely something that you needed. And and I say this all the time that sometimes financial wellness and well-being is surviving the culture. Um, So, yeah, we don't we don't talk about enough. So my whole thing was. Uh, with Black Financial Culture is for me to share my unique experiences, me Mm -hmm. being vulnerable, me basically walking you through how how I've internalized these experiences as well and how they've impacted me so that you don't necessarily have to have experienced the same thing, but you can see life happening in a very real way where you can say that this is real, this is authentic. This isn't somebody who just has a PhD and has written some papers and is saying that, oh, you people who know nothing, you need to do X, Y, and Z. I assume the best of the reader, actually. I assume that you're already financially savvy. I assume that you have some level of financial literacy. Right. Financial literacy isn't just a five-question Lusardi scale uh, that's been derived and has been used as a way because that actually is based on socioeconomic status. If you're an individual who's not middle class, doesn't have a 401k, why would you know about necessarily bonds and the right. movement of bond prices as it relates to rates and things of that nature? Like it does, that would not be a natural conversation that you're having in your household. So there right. are some there are questions within that survey that are class based, that are socioeconomic based, that doesn't always speak to the what you need to survive and the strategy and tools you need to survive based on your socioeconomic status. Because right. you don't take middle class rules and apply those 
to individuals on the lowest program at SES. It doesn't matter at that point in time. Yeah, I was going to say, I agree. I wanted to yeah, you're right. still ask you a little bit about the book. So I know you mentioned that you wrote it to be basically your experiences. You mentioned on the earlier episode that you wanted it to be something that your mom could read, right? Which yep. to me says you want it to be something that is accessible to all, which you and right. I both know in academia, a lot of the work that is typically written by researchers and, and those who are in academia are, are written to other people who are academia, not necessarily to the masses. And as someone who has read the book, which is really good, I highly recommend it. I would agree. It was, it was a very easy read, very conversational. What I wanted to yeah. ask you, though, is what surprised you most about your experience, as you can recall it, while writing the book? Like, what came up for you? Yeah, the, in the process? yeah, the anxiety that revolves around judgment. Because I work in academia. In the past, I've tried to pursue research lines that focused on uh, African-American households, uh, marginalized households, communities that generally I don't think receive the, the care and attention that they deserve, only to be told, why does race matter, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're navigating right now, post-pandemic, through pandemic, is a very different space in academia than what we experienced, than where we were just five or six years ago in terms of conversations Absolutely. around diversity, equity, inclusion, mental health, all these different things, these were not in vogue. So if I step back and I think about my experience in this space, I literally had people in a profession tell me, why do you want to get an AFC designation? Why does financial therapy matter? It doesn't necessarily impact, but I don't understand why this is important. Mm -hmm. Financial empathy. I gave the TED talk in financial empathy. I was actually anxious about doing that because my convictions told me that I needed to embrace this thread. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because I received support from the community. Mm. And because of that, I didn't share with people that I was doing it. I didn't share with them because I didn't need other people's energy telling me not to. This is an important or kind of casting it off to the side. And I've yep. just experienced too much of that in academia and other places. And I've had to learn how to just lean into my convictions uh, regardless. And so this book is another extension of that. I always said that once I finished my PhD, one of the first things I was going to work on was a book that anybody can read, a mm -hmm. book that was accessible, a book that doesn't go into prospect theory, but elements of prospect theory are in it. That doesn't go into systems theory. Elements of systems theory are in it. That doesn't go into bounded rationality. Elements of bounded rationality are in it. That doesn't go into social capital theory, but social capital is, it, is in it. That doesn't go into um, cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT is in it. That doesn't go into solutions solution focus. Solution focused therapy is in it. Like everything that I do, there's so many nuggets, goal attainment what we know best about goal attainment. Everything that I engage in, these paradigms and these ideas are mm -hmm. distilled down and, and interwoven into the intricacies of this book. But you would never know that in reading this, you're up to date right now. To right now, you're actually reading some of the latest and most current conversations that we're having in academia and I'm even taking it further where academia isn't even right now, but it's so simplistic that you wouldn't even realize that that's exactly what you're engaging with. Right. 
And so for me, that's where I exist. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking around the head of curve. I'm always thinking, what can we use? What tools? How can we actually help people? That's the goal. And so for me, I developed a little bit of anxiety as I was about to release the book because again, I'm thinking, where's the judgment coming from? Right. Right. And then I'm focusing on a unique black experience mm -hmm. right now in the state of Georgia, even in Florida. We're changing language about DEI initiatives and whether or not you can even label something as DEI, right? So I, I already knew that these conversations were happening, already knew that they were coming down the pipeline. And I'm thinking that I'm putting out something, and this is not a word, that somebody will agendize my material to ultimately say that this is something that should be shelved or this isn't something that our readers should read. Right. And yeah, it's like the issue, though, is that when we don't see real life, real stories of the people that we serve, we lose our capacity to serve them. Absolutely. So if you're telling me that you don't want to see an authentic reality of the things that we talk about, but we don't really explore within the context of the lives of the people that we serve, but yet we're trying to serve them, like what mm -hmm. are we really doing here? And so because of some of the work that I've been able to do, whether it's with the Financial Planning Association, the CFP board, FTA, like all the financial organizations. For many of those people, they've never actually experienced Black culture outside of the people who are in their bubbles professionally. Right. Like, you don't, you don't go to Greenbrier Mall. You're not going to randomly go to Gary, Indiana, just go hang out and engage with some folks or whatever. If I brought some of the people that I know at UGA home with me for the holidays, they would feel really uncomfortable. Right. Because it's yeah. a very different world than what they've navigated or experienced. So they don't mm -hmm. really understand it. They don't touch it. They don't sense it. They didn't live it. And for me, it was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to lean into my convictions. I'm going to write yeah. something that I'm proud of. And I am proud of this work. And for whom or for who it is for, those people will receive it, will gravitate towards it, will feel seen by it, mm -hmm. will feel cared by it, and will mm -hmm. feel nudged a little bit, but done in a very compassionate way, not a judgmental, shame-based way, um, to take a step forward. And also then to consider family. So one of the, the last chapters that I wrote in this book uh -huh. talked about the saved effect. Which, which is rooted in this notion that I call the saved effect. It's like, you know, when somebody who was, a, who was a gangster, who was in the streets, like for real, for real, they become saved and then they forget that they were actually ever in the streets. Mm. And then they go and try to get other people saved and try to tell them about themselves and where they're going. But they don't realize that at one point in time, you didn't want to hear either. Exactly. Right. You had right. multiple messengers that came to you throughout your lifetime and you did not have the capacity to hear them. But yet, once you become saved, you don't have the capacity to engage in empathy and compassion with the very person that you once were. And I struggle mm -hmm. with that. And I wanted to speak to that because I know what happens when we read these types of things. Somebody may take mm -hmm. this book and other books that they've read and say, oh, I need to get my money right. And they start winning and they start doing well. And all of a sudden, they just want to bring everybody along with them. Everybody doesn't have the capacity right now. And mm -hmm. what they need is a little bit of grace, a little bit of nudging, some boundaries need to be set because you got to yeah. feel your mistakes instead of always bailing people out. But that can be compassion as well. But it's not a, hey, you need to read this. You need to be better. You need to do better. 
because you and I both know in the work that we've done and the work that we currently do, that is not always that simple for someone just to cut the switch on and just yeah. start doing. In fact, it's never that simple because there's so many things, there's so many factors that, that play a part in our experiences, our, our backgrounds, our uh, upbringings. And it, it actually leads me to another question I wanted to ask um, and yeah. something that you mentioned. You talked a lot about, in both episodes, systems. And so I want to know what yeah. systems sort of unearthed, either when it came to challenges within the Black community, as you thought about yeah. your own unique Black financial yeah. experience. There's there's a, Joycelyn, there's a really, really big one that I, I'm still currently struggling with. I wanted to go there in the book, but I didn't feel like it was the right place based on the current spirit and vibe of it. I, I kind of alluded to it in a section where we talk about investing. Mm -hmm. And I did draw parallels between wealth, between black and white communities and wealth disparity. But I didn't just leave the conversation there and immediately go into historical precedents that actually caused those things. Yeah. Even though there's a litany of books, there's the color of law, there's the color of money, there's so much. Mm -hmm. there, there's systematic things that were basically government related things that Absolutely. prevented African-Americans, my great grandparents, even from being able to benefit from, even though that they served and said war, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. that if had the opportunities of upward mobility, greater earning capacity to then have the discretionary income to save more, to, to be able to live in certain neighborhoods where you could actually still see real appreciation of your homes, then we're looking at a very different space right now yep. in terms of where Black people are. And there's a compound effect of those things happening, just as there is a compound, compound effect of those things happening to the positive, there's a compound effect to the negative as well. Absolutely. So, And I wanted to actually explore and tease that out more because we can have these conversations around reparations and what that looks like. We can have conversations around a lot of different things. And I think that we need to have those conversations. But then for me, the question is, well, for my great, 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 great grandchild, great, 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 great grandchild, I guess, if they were to say, I wish 400 years ago that my great, 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 great grandfather, or however that plays out, right? Maybe that's too many greats. I don't know. <laughs> would have sown a to create a tree and fruit in which I can enjoy the shade and the fruit from. How would I be able to answer that question for them? Right. And so as it relates to black financial culture, I think that we're in this, in this middle spot right now, which yeah. I think is natural in terms of our growth, because you have some mm -hmm. people who've already moved forward and said that, you know what, I'm not waiting for reparations. I'm not waiting for the government. I'm not waiting for white society to approve of me to X, Y, and Z. That's where I am. Like growing yeah. up in Gary, Absolutely. I learned really, really quickly that you can't expect someone to love you more than you love you. Point blank, yeah. period. Well, that's a, I'm going to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. Uh, so, conversation. But no, to that point. That's I, the point. Though. No, what does is. the next 400 years look like? And if right. I'm playing the long game. And mm -hmm. I want to pull out my, my calculator and just say that, you know, every family, if we just created a trust and we said that within this trust, we're going to pool all of our money. We're going to, everybody's going to pull a hundred dollars and put it in this trust. And we're going to set it so that nobody can touch the earnings and growth of that trust until 400 years later. That's doable. 
that's realistic. And even we could even scale it up to say that we have a 50-year trust, a 100-year trust, where we all just put $50 in and say, this is what we want to pay for to future generations to kind of create this system. So what I'm getting at is that when we play the long game, the impact of small becomes incredibly significant. There are people well, yeah. right now who are, who are thinking like, oh, well, if I invest, it's not going to be a lot. Well, in 20 years, maybe not as much as you're hoping, but in 60 years, yeah. in 120 years, legacy, talk about that in the book, these things that live long beyond you, right? Yeah. That still breathe life and you still live through it. I think that is so incredibly beautiful. To Absolutely. think about that, you can think about life in terms of not just me going to heaven in the upper room, right? but actually me still creating heaven on earth well beyond my lifetime, mm -hmm. whether it's through affection and love of our sons, man to man, hugging and kissing on your sons and affirming him, right? Whether it's with your daughter saying that, hey, you know, I want you to think about being an entrepreneur. I want to mm -hmm. think about, I want you to think about these other spaces you deserve to be here, right? That creates these elements of things that live well beyond us. And it's our spirit that still lives. And I think right. that's incredibly beautiful. And I know everybody doesn't have the capacity right now. And I completely get it. But mm -hmm. I then also share stories about where I was and where I've been, where it resonates, hopefully. But I think that there's an elegance here in terms of thinking that, you know what? I think that they were much closer than we think that we are. In oh, terms absolutely. of achieving the things. I see a lot of studies about, oh, well, you know, with black folks, if they have a financial shock, it's going to set them back so many years. But what happens is then people don't even try. Right. That's and true. if people don't even try, then guess what? You don't need five. If there are 10 seeds that are being sown, generally speaking, if seven of them are duds, meaning that they don't pan out the way because of circumstances. Yeah. Okay. It is what it is. But if three do, that's going to provide a sufficient amount of fruit and resources and need, right? To then everybody else can now sow more. So now we have 20, now six seeds. And it was more like, what happens is we, we paint these narratives where it's like, why try? And the right. only time that I feel as if I should try is when somebody outside of me affirms me and tells me that it's okay now. That's not freedom. If, if, if we're going to continue to play that game, Regardless of resources, we will never be free psychologically and emotionally. We'll mm -hmm. always be bound and tethered to some set base of limitation, that nagging thing in the recesses of our mind saying, should I be here? Is this for me? Guess what? It's always been for you. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't like I would... to think that I'm the first of anything. I like to yeah. think that I'm the continuation of everything that's already happened. It's already been in existence. No yeah. matter what I do, I'm not the first. Somebody long in our lineage, in our history, thought the thought, did the thing, spoke the thing, like created something that didn't get the credit or just do whatever. I'm not the first. I'm a continuation of. And I, and I think that that's, that's a major conversation that we need to wrestle with yeah. in a Black community that I see both sides of the argument mm -hmm. for. Well, I was going to say, it's it's sort of related as we were talking about, you know, the systems and sort of what's coming up and talking a lot yeah. about wealth. And and as yeah. you so eloquently mentioned, there are so much that we can start and do now. I remember, yeah. I think in, in chapter eight of your book, you 
noted that there was a report that kind of estimated that the collective black wealth as of 2020 was close to 5 trillion, right? So we've yeah. seen some increase in growth, however, which is like 98 trillion less than, <laughs> than White House, <laughs> right? Clearly illustrating the wealth gap, which as you know, and, and, and most of my listeners hopefully by this point know is something that I'm very passionate about. How do you grapple with that? Like if the facts of this is what it is, and again, to your point, not getting discouraged, but mm -hmm. taking those steps and what are some real steps that we could take towards? Yeah, so actually very, very point. So if we look at demographically, white population, Asian, Hispanics, so on and so forth, what you'll see across the board, generally speaking, is that typically for African-American households, the most significant asset that they have is their car. That's a, And that's a depreciating asset. Right. So... The way that I would tackle this more specifically is to change the conversation. I'm not concerned about closing a wealth gap because as long as we have a conversation about closing a gap, it perceives a notion of there's a deficit. And yes, that deficit is real and for very real reasons. But think about it if you're in a race and you know like a track race and that person got off and they're going right? So much so that it can break your spirit, right? right. If you're running in a race and someone's ahead of you and no matter how hard you try, you cannot make up any ground, it breaks your spirit. So what generally happens is that person ends up slowing down, right? Mm -hmm. Because they lose their fight. And then eventually and we give know up. In, yeah. We, you give up. We know this in right. prospect theory. When somebody is operating at a deficit, they experience and feel that deficit doubly worse than if they had half the gain, right? Mm -hmm. So if I equally had a gain of $100 and I lost $100, I feel that I've lost $100 two times worse than I experienced my $100 gain. Okay. So yeah. my thought process is that psychologically and emotionally, what if we stop focusing on the deficit and actually focus on the process, which is mm -hmm. encouraging, sensible strategies for individuals at a very small level to create the habits of wealth creation. That's it. Because it's almost like saying that, oh, I need to do better eating. So what, what are you really telling me though? You're not yeah. really saying anything because now we have to go back into what the process, remember process, process, and then process. We actually need to be focusing on the process of the thing because over time, it's going to manifest itself in a way that's supposed to. That, that is going, it's principally proven, quite honestly. So what if black culture decided that, you know what, as a narrative in the music, in the television shows, in the literature and magazines and everything that we read and we saw, we were talking about what are simple things that you can do right now to just put a few dollars away and not think about it as individual wealth, but in the way that I talked about it in the book, which is collective wealth. Let's say I'm in a positive wealth position and I have $5,000. For somebody who doesn't understand that most people have a negative net worth, they wouldn't realize how significant that $5,000 actually is. But now Absolutely. let's say that you have a family of 100 people where they all have $5,000 saved. Now, what if we talked about wealth as a collective, as opposed to the small amounts? 
Because small yeah. amounts don't necessarily motivate us initially. Yep. So think about it, Joycelyn. In any space where you've ever worked, when people talked about sales goals, did they talk about individual sales? I didn't, I didn't, I've never really worked in sales goal, but in general, when there are number related goals, it is the collective goals of it's the team. The, it's the collective, collective goal. Anything that you've ever seen or watched, yeah. it's, hey, we did this yeah. much. We did a million dollars. And when you look at a financial statement, they don't break out. They do a little bit later in the financials. Yeah. When you're looking at like a 10K and things of that nature. Absolutely, um, yeah. They'll break out like where the revenues are coming from based on product mm -hmm. line, things of that nature. But yeah. when you're looking at this information on Yahoo Finance or other places, they're going to show you total revenue because that Absolutely. magnitude effect of the thing is big. But if we oh. just looked at it in its small compartmentalized sections, it doesn't seem like a whole lot. So if we started having this collective conversation yeah. around where we are in terms of family wealth, in terms of community wealth, in terms of black wealth, where there's already metrics. I did not present anything in the book that's not factually true Absolutely. based on reporting yeah. information. It's already being reported that way. So it's easier to feel as if my small contribution means much more when we start thinking about Think it about as collective. collective. Well, one thing I wanted to double click on that you mentioned um, that came up for me is, is the idea of, of closing the gap. But to your point, I guess you look at the numbers, there is clearly a gap there, but it has us focusing on the gap more than focusing on our progress yes. and our success. And those are even just some of the things I, I have to come back to when I think about it's in spite of the things that have recently gone on in, in government in terms of policies that have been passed both locally <laughs> and federally. But when I think about generally speaking, how far we have come as a people in such a short time as it relates to the things that we're able to do, things that we're able to have access to, like even something yes. that may be so insignificant as having had a Black president was something that could have yes. never been fathomed, not even two generations ago, like sometimes yeah. one generation ago. And so yeah. it's, you're I absolutely right. Too. It brings me back to the point I recently had a guest on and we talked about mindfulness. And of course, you know, your friend and mine, Dr. Watkins, which I realized I forgot to mention how we met. We'll come back to that. But she talked about financial shame and a lot of it is the yeah. idea of feeling that you're not, you know, especially with all of the other systems such as social media and et cetera, and all these things that are being put out and these highlight reels of people and their accomplishment and feeling like you're not there versus realizing how much you actually have accomplished. And I think yes. we as a people have to give ourselves a lot more credit around how much we have accomplished Yes. while still understanding there's still a lot yes. more ground to cover, both financially as it equates to having collective wealth and even individually. This is maybe where the therapy piece, and we could take a little bit of a turn because I wanted to say with your book, yeah. As much as it was personal experience around financial um, independence, I definitely saw the therapy piece there. And that was something I really wanted to talk about because I think yeah. that it's still a little stigmatized in our communities of color mm -hmm. in general, not just in the black community. And especially when it comes to therapy for, for men, but you even mentioned yeah. in the earlier episode that most of your clients are women and not men. And I want, so, and I want more men. <laughs> And what that means, right? The idea of breaking down a man saying that I need help, right? Yes. But 
is just the idea of being centered, being present and giving ourselves credit for what we've accomplished. Like the idea of if you save $5 more this week than you did last week, that's great. Maybe you still didn't reach your goal of $50, but if you were able to save five more, celebrate those five additional dollars. Be proud of yourself for making progress towards your goal. I think sometimes we get so we get so caught up in in the end goal and we don't I don't even want to say celebrate, but we don't give ourselves enough credit. We don't recognize enough of the progress that we've made and the habits that we are yes. creating that are going what to help it, what us did it take get to that. To do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we, de- we deprive ourselves of that dopamine mm-hmm. response. That the joy, right? And that yes. is the chemical. That's a chemical. And then so what happens is, is that instead of it being joyful, it becomes stressful. I only did $5. What's wrong with me? I could have did more. But to your point, if you're doing $5 is more than you've done within the past three months, five months, or whatever it may be, then guess what? We're gradually figuring out where baseline is. Or maybe we haven't fully established baseline, but you literally have to undergrow a process of transformation to change habits. Even something as simple as like the foods that we consume and that we eat. People say all the time, oh, you just need to stop eating out to save more money. But food is chemically designed through the salt, fat, sugar mix or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. to be in the industry. They use the word craveable. What they're really saying is addictive. So a lot of people don't understand is that you're just stopping eating a particular food that you do at a particular time. There's something called ghrelin in our system that tells us that we're hungry. And then when we're hungry, it signals cues of things that we usually eat around this time. So now we have this internal system that's actually been set. Now it's habitual and it's not something that you're just going to change overnight. So I detest any type of shaming because we used financial shame as a long time in our space yeah on the coaching side on the investment side the people who were part of that will never say that we were ever a part of that conversation because now they're (laughs) on to oh we need to talk about emotions like i've i know the game i I Mm -hmm. see it but as we as we navigate this stuff we have to be incredibly mindful of that the systems that people navigate are so incredibly foundational to sustainable habits. It's not just doing something for a week, right? It's not just investing for a few months. It's not just eating right right for a couple of days. Like the Mm -hmm. consistency is the only thing that compounds. So I'm more focused on to get to that compound effect, I have to understand what someone can consistently do. And the only way that I can understand what they can consistently do is to understand their systems. It's that powerful. Well, that's all for today, folks. Enjoyed the show? Be sure to like and rate the podcast. You can find the Race, Wealth, and Health podcast on multiple platforms, including Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications so you never miss an episode. I also want to hear from you, so don't forget to connect with me on social media. You can follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Race Wealth Health. By joining the online community, you'll stay updated 
on the latest episodes, behind the scenes insights, and engaging discussions. Share your thoughts, comments, and questions there. I appreciate your support in sharing the podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues who may also find value in these conversations. Thank you again for joining me on this journey. Until next time, take care, stay informed, and keep up the good fight for equality.